So Ephesians chapter 6 at verse 19, this is God's infallible word. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Well, as we've come to this last part of Ephesians, and Paul has opened up for us this great reality of spiritual warfare in which the church and Christians are engaged in the provision of strength, the provision of armor, and the call to be putting on that armor that we can stand, and after having done all, to stand. And then how Paul there goes on, the Holy Spirit through Paul, to this uh, great Christian privilege and duty of prayer. And how prayer is such a key activity in the Christian life and in the spiritual warfare in which we are involved. Uh, We've seen in verse 18 that it is a Christian duty that we are praying for others, all the saints with all perseverance on all occasions, all kinds of prayers. And of course, we should never forget that we are to love others uh, as much as we love ourselves and to put others before ourselves with the mind of Christ. And so we pray for others. But sometimes praying for others is the easier part of prayer. I don't think prayer is ever easy, real prayer. It's part of spiritual warfare. Uh, But sometimes praying for others is the easier part. As we considered a little bit this morning from verse 19, what may be a much more difficult thing is to ask others to pray for ourselves. It can be easier to pray Uh, for persecuted believers in China or pray about the war in Ukraine or a vacant pulpit in Alberta or the need for a church building in Kitchener than to really open up our hearts and lives to others and say, pray for me. That can be a challenge because to admit that we need prayer is to admit our own insufficiency and inability, our need and many times our own sin. It's a humbling thing to be prayed for, but it's a blessed thing. That's exactly what we see the Apostle Paul doing here in verse 19 when he says, pray for me. The Apostle who delighted to pray for others is the same Apostle who desired prayer for himself. Pray for me. Well, when we pray for others and we ask for prayer from others, uh, we may and we should pray for all kinds of things. Jesus said uh, in the Lord's Prayer, teaches his disciples, give us as they are daily bread. And so for the, the things of life that we need to live in this world, we are to pray and it's right to pray for those things. Uh, it's not wrong to pray for physical health regarding issues of physical health. The Apostle John, in the third letter of John, says, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. 
there still is always that spiritual. We should never just limit our prayers to the temporal, the material, and the physical, and forget the spiritual. Uh, there are, of course, beyond our daily bread and beyond physical health, so many spiritual issues and concerns that should fill our prayers for others and our prayer requests for ourselves. And it's good to express those things. It's good to do that. Let me just carry on a little bit from this morning before we get into uh, what Paul says here specifically this afternoon. You know, sometimes, I've heard it myself, sometimes people say things like prayer meetings are just baptized gossip sessions. They're people just talking about each other. Well, it's possible that they may be. I'm not going to say it's impossible for people to have the wrong motives in raising things about prayer with other people. I don't think we're beyond that as human beings, even as Christians, to do something like that. But you know one way that that can be prevented? Do you know that one way that potential gossip at a prayer meeting could be prevented? Pray for me. Let the requests come from your own mouth. If you're the one that's supplying those requests, that can never be gossip. Pray for me. Pray for me. So if someone else is is praying something, it's not just something that they've heard out there. They've heard it from your own mouth. You've asked for prayer. It's a wonderful safeguard uh, in a prayer meeting. But here in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul doesn't leave his request just as a general, vague petition for prayer. Just pray for me. He's very specific. As is the case in the other letters that he writes, when Paul asks for prayer, he almost always asks for something in particular. He does at times ask for other things. But there is one prayer request that the Apostle Paul has for himself that outnumbers all others. He asks that he, as an apostle and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, would have both the opportunity and the ability to preach the gospel in a way that is fitting as an ambassador of the Lord. That's repeated over and over and over again. Again, it's not wrong to pray about and ask prayer for other things. But one thing had a priority in Paul's prayer list, the gospel, preaching Christ and him crucified, what he calls the mystery here of the gospel, that wonderful gospel revealed in Jesus Christ, revealed and written down for us, revealed to the prophets and the apostles, and and written down for us in Holy Scripture. This is Paul's priority. And this is the specific thing for which Paul asked prayer preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel. I was very interested and a little bit confused as I was rereading again William Gurnall's magisterial work here on Ephesians 6 and in this particular section where 
He says it's the duty then of Christians. We see a doctrine pulled out of these verses, 19 and 20. It's the duty of Christians to pray for ministers and the ministry of the gospel. But then this is what he said. No duty is harder for the minister to press or for the people to hear, for him to preach with humility and wisdom or for them to receive without prejudice. I just had to stop and think about that. Why would he say something like that? Why would this, Paul says, pray for me for the proclamation of the gospel. Why would this be something hard for a minister to do? Why would it be something uh, that necessitates great humility and wisdom? Why is it hard for the people to hear and for them to receive? I don't want to just dismiss that comment from one of our forefathers in the faith, as if, well, what did he know? What had he learned from Scripture? What he had learned in his own congregation and in his own heart that he would say something like that? Here is this call to pray for ministers and pray for the gospel ministry. Why is that hard? Well, again, from this morning, pride. Pride. Pride in lots of ways. Suppose a minister could be accused of pride if he, if he preaches this. What a self-serving sermon the minister just preached. It's all about him. He just wants us to be praying for him. Or perhaps really uh, what's not really appreciated is the utter spiritual helplessness of a minister. I think I've come across that. Uh, in the ministry where, you know, I speak to people and, and they have literally said, well, it's just easy for you. And again, I, this is why it's hard. I don't want this sermon to be about me, but this is what Paul is saying as a gospel minister. Pray for me that I could speak as I should. And if that's true, he's asking for prayer. Really, is it just easy? Was it just easy for him? Is it really easy, this, this work of gospel ministry? Maybe what Gurnall was getting at is just this prayer really may convict us of the lack of priority that the kingdom of God has in our lives. It's hard to press this upon people. This prayer, pray for the ministry of the gospel, because we can become so secular, even as Christians, Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness. Do we? Do we do that, really? What would that look like if we did? Well, if we did, we'd pray for ministers and the ministry. Well, why did Paul ask prayer for this? Why pray the way that Paul asks for prayer here? Well, let me just lift out four things from Paul's words here uh, that I think show us uh, the appropriateness, the necessity, the beauty, uh, the glory of this prayer request from the Apostle Paul. First is the nature of the work itself, the nature of the work Paul's prayer is that words or a word may be given to him. 
when he, in the opening of his mouth, that a word may be given to him. Now, as an apostle, he preached and wrote this letter of Ephesians as an example, as a special agent of revelation. So that in the New Testament and here in the words of Paul, we have not just the words of a man, the words of men, but the very word of God. Now, the point is that something had to be given in this work. Something had to be done, not initially or most importantly by Paul. There had to be something beyond Paul. There had to be something outside of Paul's ability or competence. This is what some have called, and there are many examples of this in the Bible, the divine passive, where something is said to need to be done or something having been done. And God is never mentioned as the giver, but he is clearly implied. And so this is an example here of the divine passive, that a word may be given. Well, given by whom? given by God. There is a focus here away from Paul and toward God. And we need to remember the divine aspect of the nature of this work that Paul is speaking about here, the supernatural activity that is necessary in this work. Paul understood that in 2 Corinthians 2.16, he said, To one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? Paul is asking for prayer. That means he understands that we have to appeal to God in this work. That we need the divine, the deity. We need God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, to be at work. We are praying as a testimony of our inability, our insufficiency. If salvation, if repentance unto life and saving faith are gifts, as the Bible teaches, then we must pray to the God who gives them. How are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ. We are made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ, the effectual application of it to us by his Holy Spirit. And so we must pray for the preaching of the word as well. Both the preaching of the word, the hearing of the word, are utterly dependent upon the work of God. John Owen said, without the work of the Holy Spirit, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, we may as well burn our Bibles. The Spirit must be at work. And so Paul is praying that a word would be given, that he would uh, be empowered and enabled to preach the gospel, that doors would be opened, as he says, in another place. We need God's help. As ministers, and the degree to which you as Christians are involved in kingdom work, you need God's help. You can't do it on your own. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. Remember reading years ago a letter in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan. He he wrote many letters, and some of them to young ministers. And he wrote to a young minister, and he said, you have to remember and realize 
that preaching, that the ministry is not just like a trade in the world. It's not just like making shoes. I think that's the illustration that he used. He said, after 20 years of making shoes, a shoemaker can make a shoe. He knows how to do it, and he just does it. But he said to this young minister, after 20 years of preaching, you are as much dependent on God after 20 years as you were the very first sermon that you preached. It never changes. The nature of the work demands, calls for prayer. And that's why Paul says, pray for me. He understands the nature of the work. And so pray for ministers. Pray for the ministry of the word. Pray for open mouths of preachers. Pray for open doors and open hearts. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul says, Devote yourselves to prayer and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Very similar, but they're opening a door. God must open a door. Doors of opportunities. Doors of responsiveness. The doors of a heart must be opened by the Spirit of God. Responsiveness in those opportunities. Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but God makes it grow. E.M. Bounds, in one of his works on prayer, said, If any man could project the gospel by reason of personal force, by brain power, by culture, by personal grace, or even by God's apostolic commission, God's extraordinary call, that man was Paul. But gifts, talents, education, eloquence, God's call cannot abate the demand of prayer, but only intensify the necessity for the preacher to pray and to be prayed for. The more the preacher's eyes are open to the nature, responsibility, and difficulties in his work, the more will he see, and if he be a true preacher, the more will he feel the necessity of prayer. Not only the increasing demand to pray himself, but to call on others to help him by their prayers. That the preacher must be a man given to prayer, Paul is an eminent example. That true apostolic preacher must, that the true apostolic preacher must have the prayers of other good people to give his ministry its full quota of success, Paul is a preeminent example. He asks, he covets, he pleads in an impassioned way for the help of all God's saints. The nature of the work demands it. An open mouth, a word, open doors that these things would be given by God, that God would be at work, going before us as we work, following up our work. And so before and during and after we pray for the gospel ministry. And as I was preparing this message, it just became clear to me, I just thought, I think you must really be praying these days. You folks, you tell me often that you do, and that's so humbling. I'm so thankful for it, and I know it's true, but you must have been really praying recently because I've had more gospel opportunities in the last couple of months than I have had in the previous couple of years. Wonderful opportunities. I'd love to sit down and just tell you about them all. 
Just this past week, a lady from Cornwall. It's getting my hair cut in Embry. Oh, are you on your lunch break? Uh, yeah, sort of. Are you working from home? Did your job change because of COVID? I said, no, my job's been the same for 2,000 years. What? I said, I'm a minister. I'm a preacher. Oh, I know I should be going to church. You know what a minister's going to say to you about that? Well, I was going to go to this church. You know, I don't really, what are the differences between all the churches anyway? This, what an opportunity to go through the whole gospel and so many other things, so many passages from Romans and other parts of the scripture and just an open door and an open ear and praying for an open heart for that lady. Do you know, I'll, I'll tell you, when I first sat down, the way I was feeling, there was no one else in the shop. I don't know if you have this if you go to get your hair cut. I was literally just saying, I really don't feel like getting into a conversation right now. But someone must have been praying for open doors and a word, and I pray for an open heart. Thank you for your prayers, for the ministry. We need to be praying because of the nature of the work. We need to be looking to God. Uh, secondly, we should be praying and see Paul's prayer here because of the importance of the work. The importance of the work. There are many ways that the Bible stresses the importance of the gospel. But here we can see it in the way that Paul describes himself. He says he is an ambassador. An ambassador. Now, that very term itself should show us the importance of what Paul was involved in. What a special position it is to be an ambassador. You know, boys and girls, if you ever go downtown into Ottawa, maybe you've seen the American embassy there. It's a big building. The new one looks like a submarine when you look at it from the top, or the French embassy or other embassies. Countries send ambassadors to Canada represent them in, an, in a foreign country, and it's a very special position. It's such an important position in world affairs, ambassadors in history and even today. When you think about the kind of authority with which they are entrusted to represent their home country. And here Paul says, that's what I am. So pray for me. It's the importance of the work. The apostles were ambassadors in a special, unique way uh, as those chosen by Christ to be his special representatives and to, to give us the scriptures in the New Testament. And the apostles were ambassadors in a special, unique way. But whenever there is preaching the apostolic word, the scriptures, we share in that importance of the work of ambassador in the world. You know, sometimes, I haven't done it very often, but sometimes when people ask me what I do, I say, I'm an ambassador. And almost always they go, wow, cool. I, they probably, I met an ambassador in Ottawa today. And they're really impressed. It's easy to impress someone, you just say that. Uh, and I'm not lying. In a way, I wouldn't say it in a lie, boys and girls. But I say, I'm an ambassador. Uh, but you see, the Apostle Paul and gospel ministers 
are not just ambassadors from one human nation to another, but from heaven to earth, from the kingdom of light to the kingdom of darkness. Wow. The importance of this work. Pray for me, Paul says. I'm an ambassador of Christ. Tara teaches English as a second language, and she volunteers with a Christian organization that teaches uh, people who want to learn English at different embassies in Ottawa. And so every Monday night, she teaches English at the Mongolian embassy. Uh, and, and the people come there, and she's told me about uh, these people, and, and they come very well-dressed, official, very professional. I know that clothes aren't ultimately important. God looks at the heart but simply as an illustration of the the importance of of the work that these people do. They understand that importance. They take it with real seriousness. Uh, They they just don't don't come in a real unthinking, uncaring way. They represent the embassy and the ambassador. And you can see it. It's clear. Ministers must not fall into professionalism but they should have a professional attitude in light of the importance of the work. The importance of the work. This is not trivial. Sometimes church services, preaching, ministers can do their work in a way that we're not surprised that the world says, who wants anything to do with that? That's a joke. No, it's not trivial. We're not dealing with things indifferent or inconsequential. Pray for me. I'm an ambassador of Christ. I deal with a message of life and death, of judgment, of eternity, of heaven, of hell, of human souls, and of the glory of the triune God. Pray for me. This work is important. It's the most important work on the face of the earth. Pray for it. Pray for it. There is to be a blood-earnest solemnity that should be present in a ministry, and in a minister. Pray that the importance of the gospel is not lost on the preacher or on the hearers. Paul says, pray for me, I'm an ambassador. Let a man so account us, 1 Corinthians 4.1, as ministers of Christ and of as stewards of the mystery of God. This is important work. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. 
as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. There's no more important work. We must pray for it. Thirdly, Paul asks for prayer because not only the importance of the work, the nature of the work, the importance of the work, but the opposition to the work. What does he say? For which, the mystery of the gospel, for which I an ambassador in chains. An ambassador in chains. And that sounds strange if you just don't know anything about the life of the Apostle Paul and you just think of the word ambassador. An ambassador, not in a ticker tape parade downtown, not uh, being uh, recognized at a lavish luncheon, not the center of attention in a media scrum, but an ambassador in chains. This spiritually important work is always in this world an opposed work. This comes at the end of Ephesians 6 on spiritual warfare. And so Paul says, pray for me. Pray for me. When we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, he said, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. Paul's chains were literal here, and there have been Christians in literal chains throughout history, but there are many ways that the gospel is opposed and that the devil would see it opposed. God shut the mouths of lions for Daniel, but the devil wants the mouth, wants some mouths shut too, the mouths of preachers. And he tries to do it in different ways. That's why Paul says, pray. This is opposed. I'm a goss, I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may open my mouth, that words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, that I may declare it fearlessly. It's an opposed work to shut the mouths of gospel ministers. And that can happen by persecution. It's not here yet, as we see it in history and other places in the world. I think often of that well-known saying, many other Christians feared a raised sword, we fear a raised eyebrow. And that can shut our mouths. But persecution may come. Paul says in Romans 15, 30, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there. Opposition. But he says to the church, join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. That in that struggle, there would be an open-mouthed proclamation that mouths wouldn't be silenced or muzzled because of opposition that may come through persecution. There may be other hindrances and opposition as well. I think just of personal weakness, physical weakness, fatigue, mental exertion, and fatigue. 1 Thessalonians 5.12, Paul says, Now we ask you, brothers, to acknowledge those who work hard among you. 
It's a Greek word for very intense labor. That's what the ministry is in lots of ways. Physical labor usually promotes sleep. I've laid sod. I've put shingles on roofs. I've cut down trees. Physical labor usually promotes sleep. Spiritual labor often prevents sleep. You labor and you can't sleep. Pray for the wisdom to know the razor's edge. As I pray for you as well in your lives, to know that tension between sacrifice and stewardship. Pouring yourself out and having something to pour out when it's needed. Sacrifice and stewardship, and it's a razor's edge. Pray for ministers for it, because there are times when the physical, the mental, and the spiritual affects the way that our mouths are opened in the ministry. We have the opposition of the world, the flesh, and the devil, as you do. But pray that the gospel would be proclaimed. As Paul says here, the NIV translates fearlessly. The word is common in the New Testament. It's the word for boldness or openness or, in a biblical way, free speech, to have a freedom in speech. The way that we have before God at the throne of grace, Ephesians 3.12, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. The way that our mouths are open to God when we come to the throne of grace, that's what Paul praying here, may my mouth be open as I preach the gospel. Even after we had suffered, we were shamefully treated, as you know, at Philippi, 1 Thessalonians 2, 2. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. That's it. Bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God, even with much contention. Whatever chains human preachers may experience, no, the great hope and confidence is that God's word never returns to him empty. I am suffering, said Paul, even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. And that's a great hope and encouragement, 2 Timothy 2.9. And that just brings us fourthly, and with this we end. Paul asks for prayer here because he knows the glory of the work. The glory of the work. And I think that's captured right at the end when he says, pray that I may declare it fearlessly, boldly, as I should, as I must, as it is incumbent upon me. Paul was under compulsion to preach. His calling by Christ as an apostle made him a debtor to all men. That's Romans 1. You can read about it. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish, to preach the gospel. He says that he is not, uh, he says that knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. That compelled him to preach. Preach as I should, we know the fear of the Lord. But there was also another factor here for Paul, I think. The all, it was the sheer glory 
of the message. Pray that I may declare it boldly, openly, freely, as I should. The sheer glory of the message, that Paul wouldn't lose sight of the glory of Christ and the glory of the gospel. The gospel deserves to be proclaimed, not embarrassingly whispered under our breath as if we were ashamed of Christ and the gospel. There's a glory to it, and our eyes need to be open to it more and more. We speak much more of human glories to other people. That great catch in the outfield in the ninth inning of the Blue Jays game. Wow. All these things. And yet when it comes to the gospel, it's some, sometimes for us and even for gospel ministers, we forget the glory of it. And there's an embarrassment that comes in, a hindrance. We're not bold. We don't have freedom of speech the way we should. Hebrews 2, 3, the writer says, How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? That's what it is. It is so great a salvation. Why does Paul have to pray, ask for prayer, that he would speak as he should? Because he knew that it's possible to deal with the gospel in a way that is not fitting, in a way that is not keeping with its glory. That's a temptation for preachers. It's a temptation for Christians. It must be. Jesus highlights it in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. That should challenge us because we can do that with the gospel. We can hide it in different ways and we forget the glorious light of Jesus Christ. The gospel is glorious. It is the light of Christ shining in a dark place. The Bible reveals to us, and if we're Christians, we have entrusted ourselves to such a glorious Savior and God who is like him. Such a blessed salvation. What is like the hope and the inheritance that we have? Such a living hope, such a profound comfort. Pray that ministers and congregations would know the glory of Christ and the gospel more and more and more. That we would see that glory and that our lives and ministries would reflect it. Pray that the preaching of the gospel would always match the glory of the gospel. What a high calling, but may God help us. That's why we pray. Pray for me, wrote Paul. Gardner Spring in the 1800s said, It is at a fearful expense that ministers are ever allowed to enter the pulpit without being preceded, accompanied, and followed by the earnest prayers of the churches. It is no marvel that the pulpit is so powerless and ministers so often disheartened when there are so few to hold up their hands. When the churches cease to pray for ministers, ministers will no longer be a blessing to the churches. Paul says, pray for me. And I do too. Gardner Spring could write of the fearful expense, but there's a positive side to it as well. And with that, we'll close. 
Lyman Jewett was a Baptist missionary in India in the 1800s. He had seen little fruit in his mission station where he labored even after 17 years of great labor and effort. His mission board back in the United States wanted to shut down the mission station. But Jewett pleaded to them that they would have patience, like the the parable, don't cut it down, give it one more year, I'll see what we can do. We'll see what will, will happen. Just a little more time. And the mission station uh, was allowed to continue, but it sadly acquired a nickname by those on the mission board. It was called Forlorn Hope. That's how they started to refer to the mission station, Forlorn Hope. But on New Year's Day, 1854, Jewett and some of his local helpers climbed to the top of a hill just behind Forlorn Hope. They met at 4 a.m. on New Year's Day to begin the year in prayer, and they read from Isaiah 52, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And they prayed for God to send a man. I thought this was so humble of Jewett. They prayed for God to send a man who could be used to break through the hardness and the barrenness. It's as if he was saying, Lord, if it's not me, may it be somebody else. And that mountain behind Forlorn Hope came to be called Prayer Meeting Hill. Well, ten years later, ten years later, a farmer in Iowa, named John Kloch, came in from harvesting his wheat field to find out that his application to be a missionary had been accepted. And he was to be sent to India to a mission post called Forlorn Hope. Well, he arrived and God opened his mouth to make known the mystery of the gospel. And he opened ears and hearts. John Clough fed souls and he fed mouths as well, practically, especially during the famine of 1876 to 1878. And by God's grace, a great revival swept through the surrounding area. On one day alone, they baptized 2,222 people. Over the next 39 days, 8,691 people professed faith in Christ. 24 indigenous ministers were eventually ordained. And over the course of the revival, over 20,000 were added to the church. One biographer writes, Forlorn hope was no match for prayer meeting hill. God is sovereign. One plants, another reaps. But both must pray. Pray also for me, said Paul, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should.